0: Welcome to 49ers Access. My name is Sterling Bennett, and this is episode number 65 of the podcast. And today, we're going to react to the 49ers Week 17 victory over the Houston Texans. Included in that is the, an analysis of Trey Lance's second career NFL start. The biggest decision of Kyle Shanahan's season looms as we enter Week 18. And we're going to talk about the defensive performance of An historic defensive performance put on by San Francisco against Houston. But first, some injury news that we have post-Houston Texans' victory. Uh, Trent Williams has an elbow injury, not meant or not said to be serious. He will likely play in Week 18 versus the Rams. And it will be managed day by day as you continue to progress towards Sunday's matchup against the Rams. San Francisco, meaning Kyle Shanahan said that they will hopefully and are expecting Mohamed Sanu, Maurice Hurst uh, to get back and Teon Wilson back on Sunday versus the Rams. So reinforcements are on their way. But I guess there is some bad news on top of that. Uh, Raheem Mostert, who hasn't played really all year outside of Week 1 in the first half, Kaywon Williams and Dante Johnson are on the reserve COVID-19 list. Again, uh, they are all vaccinated, so Dante Johnson and Kaywon Williams can and will likely play on Sunday, barring uh, that process lingering throughout the week. So some good news there, some bad news there, but that bad news can become uh, void if Williams and Johnson can both test negative and have no symptoms, so rather positive news as we head into week 18, post week 17, but let's talk about the Niners' playoff chances to begin today's show. San Francisco, after advancing to 9-7 following their 23-7 victory versus the Texans, are only one win away from clinching a playoff berth. Their win versus Houston clinched the second winning season in the Shanahan and Lynch era in their five-year tenure, so congratulations there. Their second winning season since becoming the head coach and general manager duo that that we've known since 2017 But I want to talk about and kind of lay out how San Francisco and the playoff seeding can work. So, here's how San Francisco can clinch a playoff seed. If they win, they are the sixth seed no matter what. It's that simple. Win and you're in. Win and you are the sixth seed. The other way they can get in, if they lose, the Saints and Philadelphia both have to lose for them to still clinch the sixth seed. Now, San Francisco loses and the Saints lose, but the Eagles win, the Niners then become the seventh seed. So, one seed drop, not drastic change, but still in the playoffs, just not that sixth seed if the Saints and Niners both lose and Philadelphia wins because of the conference tiebreaker, despite beating them in Week 2. The final way, or the final scenario, excuse me, is if San Francisco loses, and the Saints win, season's over, pack it up, you're not playing post-week 18, you're not making it to the playoffs. So really, it comes down to Niners have to win, and if the Niners don't win, the Saints have to lose. Now unfortunately, uh, we cannot scoreboard watch, uh, if, if you're going to the game, it'll be at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles, but if you're back in the Bay like I will be, you can't. we can't scoreboard watch really. We are playing at the exact same time as the Saints. So it'll be, you got to focus on doing your job. No more uh, 10 a.m. Saints game on the West Coast where we can possibly uh, play at one o'clock already having at least a playoff seed locked up. No, no, no. Same time, the NFL did their trickery, their sorcery, and made sure those games were on at the exact same time uh, so that those games mean even more. Now that that's taken care of and we discussed the playoff seating and all the, and all the crazy scenarios that can happen, let's talk about this Niners defense versus the Houston Texans offense. Because I gotta tell you, uh, this was one of the most, and it really should be, Like, let's be very clear, it should have been a dominating performance on both sides of the ball. And it overwhelmingly was, but more so on defense. This Texans offense is not that good. They have a rookie quarterback who does make mistakes, albeit minimal mistakes, but still does make some. He can get rattled at times, and they really just don't have the personnel to have sustained success. They are a 4 win team for a reason, right? Despite beating the Chargers, this is a 4 win team for a reason. Well, San Francisco held them to 7 points on Sunday, and they also held this Houston Texans offense to 222 yards compared to San Francisco's, 416. Overwhelmingly domination. Overwhelming domination. Like that's what this was. But it gets more. It, it, it goes further than that. Not just total yards and points. The 3.6 yards allowed per play by San Francisco's defense was their best performance all season. Week, uh, excuse me, uh, versus Atlanta, 4.7 yards. Versus Jacksonville, 4.5 yards. Versus Seattle in the first game when Jimmy got hurt at halftime. Lance played the second half. They held Seattle to 4.3 yards. And this Sunday, this past Sunday against the Texans, they held them to 3.6 yards per play. That is insane. That, that shows you uh, the the great job Domenico Ryans has done from the front seven and Chris Kosarik and the linebackers with Warner and Marcel Harris having a career day. Uh, And the secondary who, despite being injured throughout the year, somehow still has the number 7th ranked secondary passing defense in the NFL. But let's go further down this rabbit hole. So since Shanahan took over as a head coach, with Sala being there, now Ryan's as a defense coordinator, this was one of their best defensive performance by yards per allowed again ever. In the last five years, the Niners have held opponents under 4.4 yards, excuse me, five times. In 2019 at Washington, the Mud Bowl, 3.8 yards. This past Sunday, against the Texans, they held them again to 3.6 yards. Then in Washington in 2020, when they were, I believe, in Arizona playing Washington, 3.1 yards. 2019 at the Rams. 3.1 3.1 yards and then Green Bay 2.8 yards in 2019. Again, to give you the full perspective, this was one of the most, and it should have been, and it ended up being that one of the most dominating defense performances on all fronts from this Snyder's defense, not only this season, but since Kyle Shanahan took over as head coach in 2017, it was better than many performances than that top-tier, top-rated 2019 defense. That's how good it was. For all the hate to Ryan's got early in the year, we know it was there, and sometimes rightfully deserved. The personnel wasn't exactly there, but it still isn't there. And they're still playing extremely good defense. Like, top-ten defense in the league. That's how good they've been. They have the number-four-ranked defensive team, yards allowed when you combine run defense and pass defense in the NFL despite not having Verrett and Mosley and many other players in that secondary and on this defense this has been a top five defensive unit all year long that's how crazy it's been the pressures they got on Sunday they totaled 20 pressures on Sunday per PFF Arden Key who was kind of a one-off signing. He was a Raiders send-off. He brought him in. And he's someone who I mentioned a couple weeks back. I said, this is a star in the making. Someone you can bring in to replace D Ford that can play inside and outside once Javon Kinlock comes back and is hopefully healthy from the knee injury. Someone that can bring you versatility and allow Eric Armstead to play inside and outside. And the same with Key, inside and outside. To give this defense another weapon. Arden Key had seven total pressures. Led the team this Sunday. Guess how many snaps he played? Uh, It wasn't 20 or 30 or 40. It was 19. 19! He had only 12 snaps where he didn't have a pressure. That's historic stuff right there. Since Week 9 versus the Cardinals when they lost at Levi Stadium against Colt McCoy, Arden Key has 6 sacks, 27 pressures, and 10 quarterback hits. He's a star in the making, and I can even argue he's a star right now. He is imperative to re-sign next year. Imperative. Now, you may argue that, well, he's Kerry Hyder 2.0, and he might be, and you can't price yourself out for him, obviously. But if you can bring him back, sell him on this defensive scheme, trying to win here, he has seemingly found a home here in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, post-leaving the Raiders. Arden Key is a star, at least right now in this defense. They've unlocked something in Arden Key to maximize his potential. In flipping that, the other guy they brought in to big money, or relatively big money... Samson Ebukom, who started off the year as someone we all said... Eh, it's kind of been a bust. He has turned it up big time. He had five pressures against the Texans. And he has 4.5 sacks this season. Now, not big numbers, obviously. Not Arden Key numbers. Not Nick Bosa numbers. But he's already tied his career high with one game left to play. Now, again... Learning a new scheme, a new defensive coordinator, personnel issues on the back end with the secondary. The, my expectation for Ebu is now increasing. He's playing good defense. He has now become a I don't want to say a, a must-play every single week or, or a key piece to the defense, but he's becoming and I think next year the expectations should be higher because the way he's ending the year. He's becoming and or at least reaching that line of becoming that key player we need with D Ford still out. Other guys, Eric Armstead, who is quietly having a really good season off the interior rush and also playing on the outside, he had three pressures on Sunday. He had the second highest defensive PFF rating on the team. Number one was Arden Key, but again, Armstead, another great game against the Texans. Big money player coming up big against a bad team. Those are things we should expect, but Armstead having a quiet, good season for San Francisco. And people want to talk about, well, where was Nick Bosa? But Nick Bosa had no sacks. Like, where's where's Bosa been? And now last week, and even more so this week, defenses have been keying in on him. There was a few plays against the Texans where he was being triple teamed. Triple teamed, not not double teamed, which we all know is uh, a likely scenario for Bosa, and he usually can beat them a few times a game, but triple teamed. If they're going to triple-team Bosa, I will take him not having production if it means Arden Keyes having seven pressures in 19 snaps. Like, if, if he's going to take up three guys, by all means do that. Be that stupid of an offense. to We're going to put three guys on Bosa and hope somebody else can beat you. Well, now the Niners have other guys that can beat you. Other guys that are playing up to their potential that can now beat you in Week 17 in the year. That's great stuff. And, and heck, Nick Bosa finally got a freaking holding call. <laughs> I think the fan base collectively started laughing and clapping. Like, where has that been all year? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, thanks, but like, how about that two years ago? How about that in the championship game, in the Super Bowl? But we'll take it in week 17. Hopefully, it carries over in week 18 and hopefully the playoffs. Other guys I want to highlight uh, Fred Warner has. A few weeks ago, he turned his game up. He had, he was blunt with us and said, look, I have not been playing up to snuff. I've not been playing up to par. Uh, And that's on me. You know what he's done since then? Well, on Sunday, uh, he had his best game of the year. Yeah, he didn't have, you know, two picks, but he had 15 tackles, a career-high 15 tackles all over the field. He had one tackle for loss, and he also had a forced fumble. So he's generating what could likely be a turnover, although it wasn't on Sunday. He's generating a chance to get the ball back in a fumble. He's getting tackles behind the line of scrimmage, and he's all over the field totaling a high number of tackles. Now, let's be honest here. Blake Martinez, who is a tackle monster for Green Bay, or was in the past, and for New York, he had 200 tackles a year, and he wasn't that good. But The difference is Fred Warner is instinctual at the right place, at the right time. He's aggressive. He's not conservative. He He's he in the Russell Westbrook of, of, of tackles. He's not, well, I got on triple-double. My stat line says I'm good. But in reality, you, you have a plus-minus of minus 14. Fred Warner is putting up big numbers and has a plus-minus of like 20, 10 a game. Like, that's how good he's been recently, if you can follow along my basketball analogy. Marcel Harris, though, right next to Fred Warner, playing in the absence of Greg Greenlaw and Aziz Al-Shire. Marcel Harris had 10 tackles, also a career high for him. He also notched his first career interception. Now, that surprised me because I'm sure in most of your minds, when you think of Marcel Harris, you either think of a safety linebacker hybrid who has struggled cover- uh, covering receivers, or you think of that Ravens game against Lamar Jackson, where he forced that fumble uh, late in that game, which eventually led to the Niners losing, but a great play off a really good uh, quarterback in Lamar Jackson, was a clutch play, a great play in the rain there in Baltimore in 2019, but on Sunday got his first career interception, a big one, kind of turned the tide now, let's be clear here, uh, likely should have been a fumble, but thank God the, the Zebras... The refs out there blew the whistle dead and said, no, 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 uh, his uh, his forward progress was stopped. <laughs> um, but again, congrats to Marshall Harris. A great job out there filling a role that much needed. Now, again, uh, I would still want to have Al Shire and Greenlaw in there for a playoff game, which this Sunday is a playoff game. And thankfully, uh, it looks like Greenlaw will likely be back, even in a limited role. Uh, it's good news, but great job for Marshall Harris on Sunday against the Texans. And I want to hammer one more point home in regards to how good this defense was on Sunday. Uh, Outside of Tart uh, being aware in the secondary, uh, Niners Nation had a good post. Kyle Posey, uh, who who leads that social media team, had a great post about what Tart was doing, being aware of the defense and helping Ward get back in position. Um, But the Niners, their defense in the last eight games, so pretty much this second half run, they've been on. The Sniders defense has given up a total of 139 points. Now to average that out for you over the last eight games, that's 17.3 points per game. Pretty much two touchdowns and a field goal per game. That's without Jason Verrett. And guys like Shire and Greenlaw and Kinlaw and Mosley who have missed, if not the entirety of the year, big chunks, impactful games in this second-half eight-game stretch. Tobacco Ryans has been phenomenal. For all the criticism he got, all the hate he got, we, we know, and, and, and I talked about it too, that people who wanted to fire him were insane and that there are bumps that come along the way for a rookie defensive coordinator trying to learn his personnel, how to maximize them how to take hits, but, not, you know, bend, don't break defense. And that's what they've been for a large portion of the year. Now, there have been times they've they blimped, right? where or, 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 or they have broken at times, and it's cost this team. But there has not been a game this year where, where we said, oh, this defense is awful, they stink. Like, those are over-exaggerations of a realistic or, or a realism, a realistic point of view, excuse me. And so, Demeco Ryans, just like Marcel Harris, and more so Samson, Ebu, Kham, and Arden Key, I'm excited for next year. I'm excited for what he can do once he gets into the playoffs. How does he mix and match players? How does he maximize guys like Tano Hufanga in the future? Emory Thomas, who we will get to very soon here. Uh, Demo Lenore, Al Shire in the future. Who else does he bring in here in the secondary to help guys like Ward and and, and Warner? I am extremely excited for what he can do. Extremely. The work he's done without Shire and even Greenlaw, even Harris now. Although one game, that's you don't get 10 tackles and one pick for nothing, right? I'm excited to see what he can do with Tarverius Moore next year in the secondary if he's back. A lot of good things to look forward to next year, despite still being in a great position this year, Right? despite being one of the top defenses in the league this year. As a first-year defensive coordinator, that's that's impressive. It's rather unheard of. Especially when you lose guys like Red Alshire, Greenlaw, Kinlaw, Mosley, like Nick Bosa off an ACL surgery. This is extremely impressive, and the the outing he's having every single week, despite some, again, blimps early, I think Ryans Ryan deserves a ton of credit. Now, yes, it's the Houston Texans, a bad team, we know this, right? But they could have easily folded. They could have had a, you know, versus Cole McCoy's Cardinals performance, which wasn't entirely the defense's fault, but to of my point here, like the Texans who are playing hot, had a hot hand, riding hot that Chargers win, could have come in here and put up big points. They didn't. And Nick Bosa talked about it, how you know, we knew with Trey Lance playing, We had to have a big performance to back him up. They did that. That's great stuff. That's complimentary 49er football. It's the one thing Jimmy has preached. Demeca Ryans has preached. Kyle Shanahan has preached. They're doing that. Ryans' group is doing that. His unit is executing what it takes to win and beat anybody. Anybody. That's how good it's been. But if there is one area, one person where... I would say as a collective fan base, we have all shaken our heads, called to be fired or benched or released. Uh, It's been Josh Norman, right? And on Sunday, Josh Norman was benched for the second time this year. Now that's something you usually would say for maybe a young player who is making continual mistakes that isn't learning, isn't growing, and maybe there's some frustration behind that. You know, sometimes a benching can light a fire under somebody, right? Well, Josh Norman was benched for the second time, and hes I believe he's 33 years old, 32 years old, been in the league for 10-plus years. Uh, he should know better. And it seems like, and I think it's pretty obvious, Norman's not going to be back. He's playing out of necessity. Like, we know this as a fact. But the reason why I bring him up is because The Niners, and the reason why Norman was benched, wasn't necessarily because of his play throughout the game. It was because his pass interference call uh, was costly. And Shanahan said, enough is enough. And now this year, the Niners have 18 pass interference calls. 18! That leads the league for 337 yards. For all the talk about you know, how good their past defense has been despite missing big-time players and Mosley and, and Barrett. You're giving away 337 yards. That's more yards than the Texans totaled combined on Sunday. Like, you're giving away an entirely free total for a game. You can't do that. And I I think at this point in the year, well you're likely still going to trot out Josh Norman next week against the Rams. Uh, I, I think that trigger might, might be pretty quick. Um, or at least you might see a combination of Dante Johnson and Avery Thomas next week, uh, barring Johnson's health off the COVID list. Uh, but again, it, it, <laughs> you have a hole there. And maybe Mosley comes back. He is someone who might come back this week. And if he can, and, and is even at a 75% health limit or or, or health cap it's an improvement, right? Um, You can mix and match on certain downs. So you want, whether it's Norman or Mosley or Johnson, you can can limit Mosley's exposure as well as Norman's exposure to not make dumb mistakes, right? Um, So I think it's important to have Norman out there just because he's physical and can get you those peanut punch fumbles. But recently he's not been doing that. And if you're going to give way for yards in... Pivotal games like this against the Texans and a must-win game next week against the Rams, he may have to play out of necessity, but if he doesn't have to play, I don't know if I'd play him. Uh, but that brings us to the opposite side, Ambry Thomas. Ambry Thomas, you want to talk about progression, guys who have learned from sitting the bench but also have now learned even more from being thrown into the fire out of that necessity? Ambry Thomas. Uh, Avery Thomas this year, in his four starts, he has a total of four pass deflections. And the early start of his starting career, for lack of better terms, was awful, right? Bengals game, uh, 38.1 PFF grade. Uh, They ate him alive late in that game in the fourth quarter. The Atlanta game, he got mossed a few times, 38.4 yards. There were some sparks, there were some bright spots, right? Being in the right position, but not making the right play. A little better against Tennessee, 65.9 PFF grade. And this Sunday against the Texans, again, albeit not the best receiver group, but Brandon Cooks is a really good receiver. He's putting up big-time numbers there. Um, A 72.2 PFF grade, ranked third on this defense. Again, PFF isn't the end-all be-all, but it's a pretty good clip, right? He also, on Sunday, had his best performance not just because of PFF, but because he only allowed one catch. For how many yards, you you ask? Zero. every Thomas, while no label should be thrown on him as a bust or a shut-down corner, on Sunday, he was a shut-down corner. Almost had his third pick of the season. And, I, and what I mean by that is he almost had his almost third pick of the season. It seems like every single game, he gets his hands on the football on a near-pick situation. But just can't haul it in. Um, someone needs to work on the jugs machine for a little bit. But I do think Thomas is learning week in week out, and it's it's very impressive to watch, and, and it's it's a, a really good thing to see, right? For a guy who uh, missed all of 2020 with colitis slash COVID, uh, didn't you know he he's very much in that Trey Lance area of not having a lot of experience as of recent, and for him to be little undersized, thrown into the fire, having gone through his struggles, playing really good receivers late in the year. A.J. Brown, uh, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, even Brandon Cooks, for what it's worth. Kyle Pitts, albeit Kyle Pitts is a tight end. Russell Gage for Atlanta. Like, those are good NFL receivers, right? Some of them are great. And while he has held his own lately and struggled early, uh, the return you're getting from the struggles he has gone through is phenomenal. You're seeing a week-in, week-out improvement, which is the one thing you want out of a young player like Thomas, who, let's be honest here, Shanahan said himself, wasn't really supposed to play this year, so good on Avery Thomas, kudos to him, and let's go from one rookie to another, go from the defense to the offense. No, it's not Trey Lance, I'm, I'm sorry, we will get to him. It's Elijah Mitchell. Elijah Mitchell, who had missed the past few games with an injury, knee, head, finger, he had a bunch of issues going on there for a little bit. He came back on Sunday, and while I think many of us thought he might be limited in what he can do, that wasn't the case. He was fully healthy. Shanahan used him like a bell cow back and just let him carry them to victory, similar to how he would do early in the year with Raheem Mostert last year prior to the injury, and even in 2019, later in the year. Uh, Mitchell had 21 carries, 119 yards, one touchdown, albeit a receiving touchdown. But he averaged 5.7 yards per carry. And if you didn't know, Elijah Mitchell is now the 49ers single season record holder for rushing yards by a rookie. He beat out Vic Washington's 811 yards. Elijah Mitchell, like, is by a stats perspective, the greatest rookie running back in Niners history. That That's insane now. You know, Ricky Waters missed his rookie season with injury. So I guess his sophomore season was a rookie year and it was better than Mitchell's. But by all means, the record books will say Elijah Mitchell on that list. And if you want to put Waters over Mitchell, fine. But you can't take away what Mitchell has done this year. He is, he's been insane. He's been... Najee Harris, good, but he's been a sixth-round pick, right? Like, we've talked about this plenty of times. He's one of four rookie running backs since 1990, with a 100-plus rushing yards in at least five of his first 10 games. The other three, Edgerrin James, Adrian Peterson, and Ezekiel Elliott. For what Zeke's been lately... His first couple years were dominant. He was a top back, if not the top back in the league. What Mitchell was doing as a six-round pick is unprecedented. The fact that Shanahan has drafted this guy and not pull the rabbit out of his hat, but essentially pulled the rabbit out of his hat and is letting a six-round pick lead this team to victory or be a main reason and carry this running game, which Shanahan puts so much emphasis on, is impressive. And getting him back for not only this game, but next week against the Rams, is it's so, it's so important. And it's funny to me because I think many of us thought that Jeff Wilson Jr. might carry the heavy load this week while Mitchell works his way back. But I think this shows how, how much trust Shanahan has in Mitchell. That he can give a guy a day off and let Mitchell run around and be physical and dominant and feel no need to use anybody else right uh Wilson didn't see the field at all like he had zero snaps and you know not not to say that it was you know fine or or I didn't want to see him but I kind of forgot he existed for a while <laughs> simply because Mitchell's having such a great year and such a great game against the Texans and so Mitchell deserves kudos too and, and again uh, I'll make a comment later in this podcast about the future of this franchise and and, and this team. Uh, Mitchell is a cornerstone piece despite maybe being the weaker cornerstone piece just because he's a running back and we know how much value Shanahan puts in those. But again, big time player, late round pick, coming up big time when it matters. And that's really important. Diamonds in the Rough has been this team's draft specialty. Kittle, Warner, Greenlaw, DJ Jones, other guys like that. Uh, Mitchell has become one of those guys, right? Uh, but let's move to now Brandon Ayuk. Brandon Ayuk, he... we, I'm not going to get into the doghouse crap. We've talked about it so much. He's out of it. And he has been phenomenal. And for lack of better words, I'll keep using that word phenomenal. Because it's so hard to kind of discuss and explain the growth and where he's at uh, in the year. He has j- just under 800 yards receiving despite being uh, in that doghouse for about five to six weeks, right? Like, that's how good he's been. Had he had not been in that doghouse, he would likely have over 1,000 yards receiving. And we could be looking at a case where Ayuk, Debo, and Kittle are, are, are all sitting at 1,000 yards. And even Mitchell, by that matter, who is close to a 1,000 yards as well, uh, could be in that realm. Like, we're looking at a potential uh, roster of weapons everywhere where we can have a 1,000-yard rusher and 3,000-yard receivers. Like, that's how crazy this year has been and how good these weapons are. But on Sunday, I think it was more evident with Ayuk more than Samuel and Kittle and guys like that, where there is clear chemistry with Trey Lance. Now... I have no idea uh, what the practices looked like when Ayuk was in that doghouse. But if he wasn't starting and wasn't taking first-team reps, well, that means he was working with Trey Lance uh, as the second-team quarterback on the scout team. Like, that's what that means. And so, I think, again, I have no idea if Ayuk was working on the second-string team. I, I, I don't go to practices during the week, and they're only open to the media at a short stint during the practice. So, I don't know. But, if that's the case, it's clear. Because Ayuk and Lance have what seems like really good chemistry. Uh, Lance would felt very comfortable trusting him with big play throws. Uh, Ayuk seemed very comfortable with him being the quarterback. Not to say he doesn't trust Jimmy at all, but just for future reference, it really looks like Ayuk and Lance have really good chemistry. And, whether it's next year or whenever it is when Lance takes over, it could be next week for all we know, and we'll talk about that later. This is a bright future. This is, despite Debo being amazing and Kittle being awesome, this to me is, Ayuk and Lance, that could be a really, really good quarterback and receiver duo that matches, you know, Burrow and Chase. Maybe not as good, but depending on how Lance progresses... It has that potential. And it, I'm very excited for what IU can do. He had the most targets on Sunday, most receptions, most yards. Uh, he had the highest PFF grade, 85.8. Uh, and he had the biggest play, 43 yards slant route for, you know, big chunk play. Like, IU was great. <laughs> um, and the potential he has with Lance is just off the charts. And I'm super excited for it. I think everybody should be. Uh, and, and what this offense can do. Which brings us to Debo Samuel. Before we get into Lance, I got to talk about Debo and the way he was used on Sunday because the Debo runs were not working at all. Debo ran the ball seven times. He had 19 yards and 2.7 yards per carry. They weren't working. And despite how good they have worked, to me, when Elijah Mitchell is in the backfield, there really isn't a need for Debo Samuel and if you want to change things up and you want to get a second back in there to replace Mitchell use Wilson Jr. right and maybe again I have no idea maybe there was an injury we didn't know about or some small thing or whatever it may be maybe because Debo has been so good in the backfield this year Shanahan said you're better than Wilson Jr. get back out there I have no idea but whatever the reason the usage of Debo to me, was questionable. It was a lot of weird plays, a lot of behind the line of scrimmage plays, which Debo usually can convert very well, whether it's first down, third down, whatever it is. Debo can usually get big chunk plays, right? Uh, and on Sunday, it was a lot of handoffs and just went nowhere. And I didn't love that usage, knowing Mitchell's back there. Like you're you're suiting up the running backs for a reason. You might as well use them. Like the last thing I want to see is is Sermon and Mitchell and Wilson and even Moser maybe next year for all we know suited up, but Debo's back there carrying the ball ten times a game. Like there's no need for that if you have those guys back there. Uh, and on Sunday, I, I didn't love that game plan exactly uh, in regards to Debo running the ball nine times. I thought it, or seven times. I, I thought it was kind of it was lackluster, uh, unimaginative in my opinion because you have Mitchell back there, you have guys that can carry the ball back there that are playing really well. But the one thing I did love is that Shanahan, while I'm sure he always tries to do this, uh, we saw Debo Samuel, the receiver, on Sunday against Houston, whose secondary is not that good. And Debo Samuel, we saw him make a huge play. A deep route, big play. Lance hit him right in the money. Great throw. He had a couple good catches. Uh, He did have one drop I didn't love, but that's one play. It happens, Um, but I was really happy with how they changed up the offense in the second half, and we'll talk about that soon, but sticking with Debo, the way they adjusted from that run-heavy Debo run scheme early uh, and converted it and and changed it into, uh, let's get Debo the receiver going, I love that. Uh, That's what I want to see more of, and when we have a full, healthy roster, I think that's what the offense should look like. Debo can get three to four runs a game, I don't care, but... I want Debo to get six, seven targets a game in the passing game. Let Mitchell have 20 carries. You know, be efficient on the ground. uh, And again, use your players where you can maximize them, obviously. But instead of Debo having seven runs, why not use Wilson? Or when he's healthy, Sermon. or, Or Mostert. Or why not use target George Kittle more? Kittle was not involved in that game besides two plays and only one catch. So... Didn't love the first half <laughs> in regards to Debo's scheming, but I did love what they did in the second half and getting him more open vertically and allowing him to work with the ball down the field. And for a small little tidbit stat for you, uh, the only 49er players who have gained more yards than Debo Samuel, more than Debo Samuel's 1,310 receiving yards, are Jerry Rice, who did it six times, the GOAT. We know he's 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 amazing. Terrell Owens did it twice. George Kittle did it once in his record-breaking season in 2018. And then Dave Parks. That's the, the group Debo Samuel is in right now. And he has one game left. It's just phenomenal. A great year, breakout year. He should be an All-Pro. He should be a Pro Bowler. And to honor John Madden, he should be an All-Madden player. <laughs> like, that's, that's how good he's been this year. But now it's time to discuss everybody's favorite topic, right? The quarterback position. Trey Lance made his second NFL career start on Sunday, got his very first NFL career win. Congrats to Trey Lance. And before we talk about Trey Lance and what he did on Sunday, what I liked, what I didn't like, what I feel going forward for him, and... Who should play next week against the Rams? We got to talk about the expectations because it's very important to understand what you're expecting from a quarterback prior to seeing him play. And last week, prior to the game I talked about, you know, the game plan for Lance is going to be very similar to that of Jimmy. There will be a few times where Lance will have maybe more chances to hit receivers deep down the field. He can take some shots more than Jimmy uh, will be able to or has in the past. And but other than that, I thought this was going to be a heavy run scheme. Uh, Shanahan's going to stick to his game plan, which he did for the most part. Uh, but there would be a few times where they can, you know, really try to push the ball against this Texans defense and look what happened. 37 rushing yards, or carries, excuse me, for the Niners, and 23 pass attempts. This was a very Shanahan-Niners scheme. And that was my expectation. If you went into this game thinking, he's going to throw it 45 times and has and have 350 yards and four touchdowns, you're probably disappointed because that's not realistic. And I'm sure many of you weren't that way, but I know some people were. <laughs> and you just can't be that way. But one of the bigger questions I had going into the game, and I put it on Twitter prior to the game, was we've all talked about how Lance and his progression have... Where is that, right? Was it valuable for him to sit all year behind Jimmy? Should he have played the entire time? Uh, But my bigger question was, I want to see how Kyle Shanahan can scheme and adapt for Lance. How can Lance uh, scheme and adapt to Shanahan? Because we all know Shanahan wants to run the ball effectively no matter who his quarterback is, who's on the field. But is he going to make Lance run 10 times? Is there going to be four QB design runs? Or is he going to run the ball 40 times? Or will he let Lance sling it? And I'm pretty happy with what I saw because I saw a combination of all that stuff. I saw a handful of QB design runs. I saw 37 rushing attempts for the Niners total. And I saw times where Lance was slinging it around. Now, you can tell, and we'll get into this here... That that first half was drastically different from that second half, and it's a duality of Shanahan and Lance. There are two, you know, there's puzzle pieces you got to fit things in. Does this work? Does that work? Does that piece go here? And that's just from a play calling, quarterback play perspective, right? Uh, but Lance finished the day with a 69 comp percentage, really good. Uh, that could have been higher too. Like he missed some throws, guys dropped some passes. Uh, And with more touch and more consistency, that's only going to go up or or stay there for a lot of the time, which is how you win games. 280 total yards. He had about 249 through the air. He had 31 on the ground. Pretty good, you know, consistent balance there. Could have been more again on both those ends, but still pretty good start. Two touchdowns. Could have been three had Ayuk not held in the red zone again. Three touchdowns, but I'll take two. It's a good start. One INT, which was not a bad INT. I have a complaint later about a second one that almost happened, but overall, a really good start that was capped off with 116 rating. This was a good Trey Lance start. Now, did it start off good? No, but overall, look at the entire picture. It was a good start from Trey Lance. I was excited. I love what I saw. But we have to talk about where this start began. And it started off really slow. It was run play, run play, run play, run play, short pass, run play, run play, run play. You get my point. And many of us, including myself, said, it it looks kind of like Shanahan just copied and pasted that Arizona scheme and game plan into this game. And for a while it looked like that. But... There were a few things I saw uh, from Lance that were a little different than the Arizona game. Maybe it's because I haven't seen him in a little while, and and I didn't go back and watch that Arizona game because there were some guys that were hurt, some guys that were playing. One player was in the doghouse. (laughs) Um, You know, Kittle wasn't there. Ayuk was just limited in what he can do from Shanahan's point of view, Um, and just kind of a weird game entirely. But to me, on Sunday against the Texans, Lance looked hesitant. And not in a way in regards to a quarterback being overwhelmed, but we know what Shanahan likes to do, right? He usually likes the over-the-middle stuff. Um, screen passes, slant passes, get quick throws, quick yards, get your quarterback in manageable third down plays. You know, sometimes you can take shots. He does with Jimmy. He will do more with Lance, but you got to hit those big plays. And sometimes Jimmy doesn't, so... Lance had the opportunity to hit those big plays, and some he did, some he didn't, but Lance in that first half, he looked like maybe the windows were a little too tight for him for a young quarterback that lacks experience, he would, he'd hike it, he'd look, and maybe there are windows, and I think there was, that Jimmy would have hit, or at least attempted to hit, quick throws, quick release, you know, hit Kittle over the middle for six yards in a small window, throw it near his his knees, let him slide, meet the catch. I believe, and I think I can see a lot of those out there that were on the table, Lance just didn't take them. I think it was from a lack of playing on the field. I also think it was, maybe there was some, this is a little too fast for me. In college, I am throwing to guys who are open. In the NFL, you have to throw guys open. And later in the game, we saw that progression from Lance. And it was beautiful to see. But sticking with this first half here, one of the big throws, and it, it ends up in the box score, but to me, it was a really good throw that just needed a little more work, was that interception to George Kittle. Because I thought it was a good throw. Kittle was open. A little more touch gets that ball over the DB's head. That's a catch. It's a first down. It's a big chunk play that stuff comes with experience that ball's there you're in the league i would expect him to hit that like guys like mahomes are hitting that play Rodgers, brady that comes with experience touch progression like that's i like that throw take that chance this is the team to take those chances against now again it's a 9 I&T. It's a turnover, but it wasn't one of those dumb interceptions right to a defender. He almost had one of those later, and we'll talk about it. But in that first half, I did like that throw. And when he's a two-year vet, three-year vet, he'll make those throws. Maybe even next year, he'll make that throw with more reps. Now, two throws that he didn't make, that he should have made. And this gets into my next point. There were times in that first half where he was deadlocked on a receiver... And as Niner fans, we know this more than anybody. Jimmy does it a lot, right? And that's one of the bigger complaints. He sees Kittle, sees Devo, whoever it may be, and this looks at them, stares him down. That's his first read. It's supposed to be open, and he doesn't adjust, right? Well, in that first half, Lance did that twice. Twice, and it almost cost him. Uh, one was that Kittle INT, which, again, wasn't a bad throw, but Debo Samuel was wide. <laughs> he was wide open, on the right side of the field. The other one later, check was wide open again, similar to that play against Tennessee for Jimmy. Kittle was open, no safety in sight, nobody on him. It would have been a touchdown. And it would have lit that fan base at Levi Stadium on fire. Those are the big plays you leave on the field, and that's where it costs you. Now again, with more reps, those will come. With more reps will come those plays. He'll see Juice. He'll see Debo open. He'll go through his progressions. He'll see those guys open. He'll make the big play. I expect a young quarterback that lacks experience, that hasn't played in almost two years, that's played a game and a half and some one-off plays early on in the first half. Like, we haven't seen Lance since Jacksonville, and that was in garbage time where he needed the ball And, and handed the ball off five times, and the game was over with. Like, he didn't do much. And so again, that first half was kind of ugly, right? In that first half, prior to that final drive, I would give it a D. And that's not to knock on him and say he was awful and bad, but what he showed to me, some really good stuff and some lackluster stuff. But then when that final drive of that first half hit, from there on out, like most of the fan base, I loved it. There were a lot of things in that first half prior to that final drive that looked like the Cardinals game, where it's like, he looks overwhelmed. He looks like a rookie who hasn't played in two years. But on that final drive of that first half, like one minute and six seconds left, I sat back and I said, is Shanahan going to do what he's done a lot of the time this year and punted or, you know, nailed the ball twice, ran it twice, and just, you know, wipe his hands and go, we'll get him in the second half. That wasn't what he did. He did but this fan base wanted to see Lance do all along, he pushed the ball down the field. He allowed Lance to work, go through his reads, gave him easy throws. He hit him, and it worked. And it ended up working out, led to a field goal. Let's run through this drive really quick here. Hits Debo, 17-yard slant route on the right side of the field. Great throw, good catch, solid, get you almost 20 yards, get down, keep the clock rolling, a good first throw right on the money, had the zip right in his chest. Great throw by Lance. And the next throw, a little behind Debo. Could have been better. Uh, Didn't love the throw. Didn't love the placement. Could have been, you know, a little shaky. It was very much one of the throws where we go, Jimmy makes that throw. Like, oh, that's ugly. We don't want Jimmy throws. Oh. But then the next play hits Ayuk on a great play. 27 yards, a big chunk play. And in two plays, in two plays, you got 44 yards, you're already on their side of the field. That's what Lance can do. Now, Jimmy's done that beforehand, but Lance is doing that now. It's really good stuff. That's what the future looks like, right? Then, takes that deep shot down to Ayuk. Uh, Would have been an amazing catch. Was a was a great throw. Maybe you need to be a little more... He uh, threw maybe a little too far. Too much oomph behind it, but Ayuk got his hands on it. Could have been a P.I. Uh, again, great throw. That's stuff where experience brings touch he can float that in over the defender you know he's putting too much oomph behind the throws they're kind of laser beams now when you get older you can float things up you can have some different arm angles you can find different angles to get that ball in there very rogers mahomes-esque right those things come with time then one of the bigger ones i didn't love was that near pick that you caught the tiptoe on the sideline where he threw it right to a defender. Right to a defender. It was a bad throw, bad decision. I didn't like that throw at all. That was one where I said, oof, I would rather you take a deep shot and throw a pick than do one of those dumb little duck throws right to a defender who you don't even see. Like, that's the stuff, again, we complain about Jimmy for, right? Can't do that stuff. Easy picks. Could have been a pick six easily. The other way... Could have been going into halftime 17-0. Like, it was ugly. But thankfully, he gets a break for once. Maybe him throwing it too hard <laughs> comes into play. Um, they get the field goal. They go into halftime, and the, the momentum is shifted entirely. Entirely. Lance gets comfortable again. He finishes the first half. It, again, it lifts that, the D-grade up to a C. C-minus, where you're like, wow. Logan throws there. Momentum is there. Going to the second half, entirely different game. 6 for 10, 144 yards, 2 touchdowns. Lance looks like what you want of a third overall pick. He was more confident. He had that quick trigger. Read the whole field. Wasn't staring down receivers that often. Using his feet to buy time. Unlike in the first half, he was using his feet to find yards because he was unwilling to let the ball go. He wasn't pulling that trigger. Second half, he was pulling the trigger, using his legs as a complementary tool to find the open receiver, make the off-schedule play, hit the open guy, get himself 5, 10, 15 yards. Everything he did wrong in the first half, he adjusted and got it right in the second half. Now, there were still mistakes made, things he has to learn from, but everything we saw in that second half was the exact reason why I fell in love with him during the drafting process and why... I wanted to pick him at third overall. Trey Lance's future is very bright. And the throws we saw in the second half it really showed that to me. Hit that great throw to Ayuk over the middle of that slant play between two defenders, zipped it in there on the money. Ayuk spins out the defender, runs for like 25 more yards, gets a 43-yard gain, great throw, Great play. There's that chemistry, again, I was talking about earlier. Ayuk and Lance have it. It's going to be great to see in the future. Takes a deep shot down the field to Ayuk again. Gets the P.I. Take that chance. The refs are going to give you some gifts here and there. He got one. Um, But that's stuff you have with a quarterback like Lance. Now, one of the throws I didn't love that's getting, I think, a little too much more credit is the throw to Jennings. That throw was low. Lance had all day to throw. Uh, it was not route in the corner. Jennings turned around. The ball was low near his feet. Now I'm not sure if that was entirely on Lance. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt here, just like I would Jimmy. But that was low at his shoelaces. Great catch by Jennings. Lance had from what like, in my perspective, all day to throw. He stepped up in the pocket, just a low throw. Those things happen. But again, it's about building consistency with your throws. Lance was erratic versus the Cardinals. He was erratic at times versus Seattle. Balls were bouncing on the ground. And it's one of the big reasons why I do not think he should have started unless he had to. He was erratic. Balls were bouncing that were five yards away from him. The receiver was two yards out and they were hitting the ground. They were skidding on the ground. He was throwing a little too high. Now, there were still some of those throws in this game, but he looked much more cleaner, much more consistent. He tightened things up. And then, guess what happens? All the good stuff that happens, Shanahan goes, hey, you want, to, you, you want to see something really cool? You want to see what I got? Watch this. Hey, Lance, run this bootleg. And whenever Lance runs the bootleg, you immediately get excited. That is Shanahan buying his quarterback enough space to read the entire field, give his receivers enough time to get open, let Lance set his feet, and fire away. And look what happened on Sunday. Bootleg to the right side of the field. Debo's open down left. Single coverage. Lance throws him open right on the money. Debo does what he does. Doesn't go down. Gets in the end zone. 45-yard touchdown. Beautiful. It was it was a similar play to what they ran in the preseason with Shurfield on Lance's first touchdown of his preseason career. Great play. Great throw. That is stuff you will see in the future. And I beg you, whenever you see Lance run the bootleg, you're going to get excited. Because that's stuff that you look at and you go, we're gearing up for something big here. This is a home run hitting play. That's what happened. It's beautiful stuff. And before we go, I I do want to categorize things for you here. Now, to me, there are three type of throws. Three categories of throws. The throws you make, throws you don't make, and the throws you shouldn't make. And now, the throws he made, Deebo on the slant route on the final drive of the first half, Ayuk on that slant route in the second half where he spun off the defenders and got 43 yards, that deep shot to Ayuk on the right side of the field before halftime, almost touchdown, could have been a P.I., and, of course, that Lance bootlegged to Debo for a touchdown. Those are throws you make. You take those risks. You take those shots. The throws you don't make, to me, are the throws that you didn't see. The throws you don't make are the ones that you left opportunities on the field. Didn't hit Debo, didn't hit Juice. Easy touchdowns, no one's around him. You gotta see the whole field. And thankfully, those were in the first half. Lance, you know, made up for those things, got us back in the end zone, found his groove. And you learn from those things. He wasn't locking on receivers the entire time then, but again, those are throws you don't make because you didn't make them. You gotta make those throws. You're leading points on the field. Jimmy does it, the fan base hates it, no one likes it. It's one of the biggest complaints about Jimmy. Big time throw, wide open, you didn't see the guy. Lance did that in the first half. He tightened his screws, got back out there, of himself back up, released the flamethrower gun, and bazooked some balls down the field. Got you in the end zone. He learned from those things. Now the throws you shouldn't make. These are these dumb errant throws that the fan base complains about Jimmy, right? The one right to the defender. That near pick at halftime is a throw you do not make. It was right to a Texan. The ball was hit, thrown too hard right to his head. Went right through his hands. Those are throws you don't make. Now... I want to kind of put a caveat on this next throw because this is a throw that I think you do make, and I love the throw, but it's kind of one of those boomer bust plays right now you threw a pick we want to Kittle again, but you're targeting Kittle always a good idea, <laughs> but again a little more touch, a little more uh. A little more feel for the ball, more reps. Being a veteran, you make those throws. But again, even on that play, and this is why I have it in that throw. Maybe you shouldn't make, but I still love that throw. It's like I'll 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 live and die with this throw. You know, it's only because he had juice wide open on the right hand side of the field. That's just what it is. Like you left, you, you made a good decision, didn't put enough touch on the ball, but then there was a better decision on the other side of the field. Go through your progressions, find his open, and you hit him. Overall, to me, Lance gets a B plus. Now, that's a B-plus for a rookie who I think has a lot of room to grow still, needs more reps, and I don't know if he'll start against the Rams. If he does, like I said last week, the door is open. <laughs> Lance played good enough, he hit home run throws, and he, despite him having to be more consistent, there were clear signs of progression from Week 5, to week 17. And all the hoopla and the hate of. He should be starting week one. Why is Jimmy still out there? We are You are seeing the plan that was enacted in the off season. to now. It worked. It's working. And it's going to continue to work. All the, the hate and and the disregard. And Shanahan's dumb. And he, he's wrong. And he's a bad coach. And fire him. You're seeing that maybe he knows a little more than many of the fan base does. Maybe the plan they have in place is much more, uh, it's much more, um, I guess for lack of better terms, he's just smarter than us sometimes. (laughs) It's much more intricate. That's the word I was trying to find, intricate than we know. He knows more about Lance than we know. Despite me liking Lance, despite me seeing the good and the bad from him, somebody else will look at things that I liked and go, I didn't like that, and vice versa. That's the way it goes, right? But Shanahan's going to go, I have first-person knowledge of this kid. I've seen him play week in, week out. I know this kid. That's what happened on Sunday. Saw some good. Saw some bad. Saw some really good. Saw some kind of dumb. But also, Shanahan got into his groove, too. And Shanahan mentioned this in his press conference today, this afternoon on Monday, that the more I call plays for him, the more confident I get in myself, in him, and that chemistry grows. Good things are coming. Just have to be patient. Lance on Sunday changed how the Niner offense looked. Not from the, the outcome. Not from the first half, but he had 205 air yards on 10 of his on, on 10 plus yard throws. That is the most air yards on downfield throws by a Niner quarterback in the last three seasons. Three years. That's Nick Mullen's stuff. <laughs> That's what that is. The Niner offense it looks more explosive with Lance. But we knew that was going to come, right? We knew there was that explosiveness in the preseason. I talked about it after the Charger game. There were boom plays. Home run plays. The issue is there's too many bust plays. It isn't too consistent yet. And I loved what I saw from Lance on Sunday. We are seeing a third overall pick look like a third overall pick in Game 2, and I can even argue he had the best Game 2 start of any rookie this year. Trevor Lawrence's second start, 37.2 QBR, 2 picks. Zach Wilson's second start, 4 picks. Justin Fields' second start, 6-for-20, 68 yards. Mac Jones' second start was a pretty good game, 89 QBR. Trey Lance's second start, 116 rating, two touchdowns. Now, there's context that matters. Situationally, opponent, receivers, weapons, defense, things that do matter. But the outcome shows, the stats show Trey Lance had the best, despite sitting for like half the season, the majority of the year, had the best second start, the second outing of his career than every other quarterback in this draft. The only question is, did he do enough to play next week? And who will Shanahan go with on Sunday against the Rams? Will it be Jimmy? Will it be Lance? Well, I can tell you now, if that happens, whoever he picks, you will want to follow us on social media to find out, is it Jimmy? Is it Lance? Who's healthy? Who's not healthy? Who is going to play on Sunday? versus the LA Rams season on the line. Win in your in. Follow us on social media at 49ers. is the Instagram, Twitter 49ers underscore access. You are not going to want to miss a thing. This is the most important game of the season. Niners Rams in LA week 18 season on the line. Just how the NFL drew it up. This is the pinnacle of the year. This is the climax of the season. Must win, Jimmy or Trey. Again, follow us on social media to find out who plays on Sunday. And once that announcement comes out, wait for the next podcast, previewing that game, maybe the last game of the year, might be Jimmy Garoppolo's last start in San Francisco. Uh, We'll have to wait and see what that decision is. It's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. And I can't wait for it. But until next time, don't forget to like, share, subscribe, leave that review. I love what I saw from Trey Lance on Sunday. You should as well. It was a glorious win, a great win, 9-7. And, and I cannot wait to see what this kid becomes. Everything I've preached to you, told you about what I think Trey Lance could be, he showed the building blocks, the potential to be that on Sunday versus Houston. Now it's just about being more consistent. Consistency is one of the best characteristics you can have as a person and as a quarterback. But until then, until we see Trey Lance, until we talk about Sunday's game against the Rams, my name is Julian Bennett. This has been the 49er Access Podcast, and stay faithful.